wizards, witches, muggles and squibs out there, and welcome to another edition of Potter Jewels, a Harry Potter podcast trying to provide some light in the darkness. I am your host, Tim. Alongside me, as always, is my brother, Martin. Hey. You can get in contact with the show in a number of ways. You can contact us on Twitter at Potter Jewels, that's P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, or one word. You can email us at potterjewels at hotmail.com or you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash potterjewels. At the end of last episode, we said that this week would be uh, about underused characters. Uh, But of course, it is Mother's Day in the United States. And we thought, what better way to honour all the fantastic mothers out there than doing a special on mother figures of Harry Potter. Yeah, and I think, obviously, it's mother figures, not necessarily mothers. Exactly, yes. Yes, good good, good shout. We thought we would talk about mother figures that are that just go under the radar in terms of their impact on the overall story. Um, obviously, a character like Lily kind of define the whole story, really. I mean, so we're not going to be discussing that too much. It's more the, the mothers, the, the, the mother figures in the series that just are always there for the kids. Yeah, I mean, you know, Lily is obviously one of the, you know, the major influences on the, the whole series, um, even though she you know, obviously doesn't feature um, that much. Um, but there's a lot that... You know, there's a lot of very uh, important characters that do. Yes, yes, absolutely. So that's what we'll be tackling today. Before we get into that, though, quick summary of the poll of last week, who had the sadder death from the Battle of Hogwarts, Tonks or Fred. And Fred won uh, with 66% of the vote. So that is 10 points to Hufflepuff. Yeah, good, uh, good victory. We obviously had uh, strong cases for both. But I think, you know, what became clear to me when I was uh, reading some of the comments is just the fact that we knew Fred so much better. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a really fair point. And I think someone else also made the case that he was a lot younger. And, you know, th- th- there's certainly a lot of reasons why um, people can you know, very legitimately say that, that Fred was the um, the sadder death. And, you know, the, as I said in, in the debate, the fact that you killed off half of a twin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's another one. I mean, the counter argument to that is that you, you kill off a mother of a you know, newborn child. Um, but, you know, half of a, a twin is an extremely kind of compelling argument as well. The best fan comment came from... Read it from a poster called Shh04. Said Fred, Tonks is an aura who deals with the possibility of dying almost every day. Fred is certainly brave, but hasn't had the maturity or the convenience of being secure with the possibility of dying like Tonks does. Fred was barely 20 years old when he died. Tonks is also more familiar with the repercussions of people's deaths and has probably witnessed more than a couple of her own friends dying around her. That's not to say she's immune to death, but that she's more used to it than Fred is. Yes, Fred decides to fight against death, he does thereby endangering himself. Still, it's safe to say Fred didn't really choose that path in his life and just wanted to be a joke shop owner. Yeah, I mean, it's a very fair point. And you, you see in that scene where Arthur Weasley's just been attacked and, you know, Sirius and Fred have that discussion about there are things worth dying for. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting one because at the start of that book, obviously, 
everyone wants to be in there on the meetings and knowing what's going on and being part of the the movement against Voldemort and then you know you, you see that you know that scene in the kitchen maybe makes you you realize that they don't quite understand what you know that there are some things worth dying for as, as it's put in the books and um so yeah i think it's, it's probably fair to say that tonks had a greater understanding of what it involved mm, yeah so as i say that is 10 points for hufflepuff and we will move on to this particular debate of outside of lily potter who was the most influential mother figure with this being a mother's day special we don't want to have uh, the characters compete because they are all heroes as you know as all all mothers are on this day um so we're not going to be debating them in a dual format we're just going to be talking about the strengths of the characters i will open it up to you to open the uh the discussion yeah well i I think the first one that we're going to be talking about is um is molly weasley who Mm. Uh, is probably the um, the most obvious um, selection. I, w- I would suggest. Um, you know, she's obviously a mother of of uh, seven Weasleys. Um, yeah, and you know, also um, you know, very much a, a mother to to Harry as well, or a mother figure to and to Hermione as well. Yeah, you know, and you know, you look at the the start of the the seventh book where she's trying to sort of look after the welfare of not just mm. Ron, not just Harry, but but Hermione as well. Um, you know, she's a, a hugely important mother figure throughout the books. Um, and I think f- from very early on, she she takes you know the responsibility of their welfare. Uh, very very quickly she does i mean you know that's from the you know very first time on the you know platform nine and three courses you know she's saying that she's you know wondering why he was all alone and you know she did wonder and you know it that kind of maternal instinct is very Mm. evident even from that that very early sort of moment in the the book but i think the fact that she took such compassion and care for harry right from the first moment she meets him at king's cross i mean it does make me wonder how other muggleborns get you know through the platform you would have thought that would be on the letter yeah yeah i mean i think you know probably. i mean i can i in my head i can just imagine so many so many muggleborn kids missing the train because they're just sort of like um hmm how do we get it? Well, you know, I think it's also fair to say that probably most other Muggleborn children would have more supportive uh, guardians than Harry. Yes, yes, but equally, what about like, for instance, um, the Grangers? Mister and Missus Granger would have been very, very supportive of, of Hermione. I still don't know how they would have. Uh, well, I think that there's usually a visit before term starts, isn't there, to to explain mm. about, and I'm sure that's one of the the questions that they will have asked, you know. I, I, but then it does make me wonder why Hagrid never uh, never mentioned it to Harry. I mean, Hagrid, with the the best intention in the world, <laughs> is, is known to have been forgetful at times. So I shouldn't have told you that. Yeah, I mean, you know, bearing in mind he assumed 
Harry knew all about the the wizarding world and mm. you know, the the history. You know, I think it's it's fair to say he would have assumed that he would have known how to get onto the platform. You know, I'm sure that was that was just an oversight on on his part, which he was known to known to do. And it also makes me think about on that same day after Vernon and the rest of the Dursleys drop Harry off at King's Cross that, you know, Harry sees them driving off laughing. It strikes me after reading all seven books when you know that Petunia knew how to get onto the platform and didn't tell him and just laughed. I thought, you know, it, it makes you it makes you hate Petunia all the more. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that's just one of dozens and dozens of examples of, you know, her being a truly awful character, awful person. But um, like an 11-year-old kid just stranded in a, in a train station, when you know how to get through to the platform nine and three quarters, and not only do you not tell this kid that is also your nephew, but you drive away laughing. It's just, it's beyond the pale. It is. Uh, I mean, it's probably a fairly good example you know if you had to pick an example to describe what uh, what sort of character she was then you know that's probably right up there because like you said it's uh it's, it's an awful thing to do mm. and the fact that you know when miss you know going back to mrs Weasley, when you know she she comes in and helps harry out the first thing she speaks to him is probably the first words of kindness from a, a motherly figure he's ever had you know uh you know calling him dear and explaining that ron's new as well and you know saying it's understandable and all that sort of stuff and it's like the contrast between the two is is I don't think it's ever more pronounced than it is in that moment. No, you know, she just knows exactly the right things to to say as well. I mean, you look at, you know, obviously she's very reassuring in that instance. You know, it's completely understandable, all that kind of stuff. But also introduces him to Ron, you know, knows that he won't, you know, know many people and that actually forming a connection and making a friendship is, you know, an incredibly important part of that, that first date. So, you know, she says exactly the right things at that time. And, you know, that's just mm. the start of, uh, you know, her um, her helping Harry throughout the, the entire series. Yeah. But, you know. And, and I think it also helps that, you know, she introduces him to Ron so that Harry's got someone, but also so that Ron has somebody as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's, you know, she's worried for, for him as well. So, you know, it's just you know quite a little thing and you know probably at the time but in hindsight you know allowing them to to form that friendship you know managed to get both of them through hogwarts and you know through the the troubled times that would follow yeah and you know how many times did harry save ron and vice versa you know yeah exactly you know and i mean you know she wasn't to know that at the time but no, but it was just an example of how she would have wanted them to to be happy, or at least have someone to talk to on the the train. You know, it's a long yeah. journey on your first day when you don't know anybody. Um, you know, obviously everyone's nervous going off on that first day. Um, so to you know to introduce people, you know, I think that's that's massive. And uh, in hindsight, obviously it was uh, you know one of the the biggest connections in the the whole series. And also, when she saw Harry, I mean, she must have, you know, naturally assumed that he was from an orphanage. Because even if your, you know, parents had died, you would normally have guardians with you, as opposed to just 
ditching you. Yeah, you would, and you, you, you certainly wouldn't have uh, you know, guardians who you know, kind of had the worst intentions for you, really. So, you know, mm. but she was she wasn't there to know that at the time. She was just using her natural instincts to to try and help both her son and you know, somebody she she'd never met before. And also, from Harry's point of view. And in terms of, you know, like Dumbledore's overall idea of how to get Harry from the start of his journey to the end of his journey and defeating Voldemort, could there be a better family to meet on the first day when you've got someone in your age group who is also new and scared? You've got two of the most popular kids in school in Fred and George and a prefect. I mean, you know, it's perfect and from such a an old wizarding family from such a mm. kind good-natured wizarding family and like you said yeah a, you know, a pure like, blood family that holds absolutely zero weight on blood status yeah uh, you know i mean that it couldn't have it couldn't have gone better yeah it, it is it is you know you couldn't have designed it better no no and the fact that um, on Harry's first ever Christmas, she sends him presents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, it's that at the time of the train station, she hadn't even met Harry um, at that point, And yet she was still concerned for his uh, concern for his welfare. Mm. You know, and obviously that very much continues throughout the books. But like you said, it's it's evident even from the first Christmas that she's kind of aware that he might not be getting many presents and is concerned for for him um and yeah. you know from that from the first novel she she takes it on that role really and that continues right the way throughout the series and it just makes him you know feel for the first time that he's part of a, a family yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that, that's mentioned when obviously they're visiting Arthur in the hospital wing, but that kind of, um, you know, it's just for family. And Harry kind of hangs back a little bit and, and Molly's like, no, you're, you're part of this family. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think they, as much as Harry sees himself as, as part of the, the family, they very much see him as part of the family too, particularly, you know, as it transpires, he, you know, the amount of times he, he ends up saving them. I mean, also, you got to look at the fact that the first couple of chapters of uh, Chamber of Secrets, Molly Weasley, while annoyed at Fred and George and Ron for driving halfway across the country in a flying car, didn't show any sort of frustration or anything towards Harry. And, no. you know, I think there's a really sad line uh, early on in the Chamber of Secrets about one of the the greatest surprises about living at the borough was that everyone seemed to like him. And I think that's very, very sad in terms of, you know, it shows you how how Harry's had, you know, a really, really rough childhood. I mean, you know it, obviously, but those sorts of lines really does bring it home of like, oh, yeah. It does. You know, I think that's, that's the first time he's ever known that. And, you know, uh, you know, she's constantly worried about how thin he's looking as well. You know, that remains a theme throughout the books, and that's evident in you know when they arrive in the uh, in the car as well. Um, mm. But it's that kind of that instinct that she has, and that desire to make sure that he's okay, even if it's just you know how thin he's looking at the moment. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the, the level of, sh- of concern that she shows for Harry, as I say, for, for, for all her children, as well as Hermione throughout the, the books, is, is just very profound. Because, you know, she, like, it doesn't matter, you know, when, like, for instance, she, she turned up to see Harry do the maze in the, in the third task of, uh, of the Triwizard Tournament, you know, they, they, they invite Harry and Hermione to stay pretty much every summer, you know, to her own kids, the level of joy and pride she feels in Ron when he gets made prefect, the, the, when she, you know, sees Fred and George after the Quidditch World Cup, there's just so many like little things throughout the entire series where you just are reminded about how much she she cares for her family, and that includes Harry and Hermione as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, from when you know throughout all the books, really, that's uh, that's the theme that runs throughout. Um, you know, right up until the seventh book, where she's she's just worried about their welfare, and she's trying to, mm. you know, convince them that that you know harry may have misinterpreted dumbledore's words um and that yeah. he didn't have to go and and fight himself you know uh, that's done out of a, a real affection to you know and a desire to make sure that they're they're all okay but you know potentially it would have been working it would have been not following through on, on dumbledore's plans in order to mm. to protect the three of them and to be honest, I think if you watch throughout the the books, there are so many instances like that where she feels that Harry's happiness and well-being comes above all else, you know, and her family's well-being comes before all else, even if it's not the right thing for them Yeah, I mean, at the yeah. time. You know, I mean, like the, the bit in uh, Order of the Phoenix where she doesn't want Harry to know anything about what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you can track that as well, starting in The Prisoner of Azkaban, where she doesn't want him to know about Sirius. Mm, yeah. You know, her and Arthur have the argument about what's right for Harry, and, um, you know, you, you can see that she's determined to protect him um, from anything that might hurt him. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um the way she is so even reluctant for you know Fred and George to join right up until she really had no excuse for them not to join. Yeah. You know, even when they were 17 in in uh, the Order of the Phoenix, she was like, well, no, you're still at school. Yeah. And I think it was only when they left school, they, she couldn't protect them any, any longer and they, they, they were allowed to, to join and... Uh, be be given that level of information but you also have to look at um the fact that how deeply the rift with percy affected her as well mm. you know i mean honestly no one else in the family seemed you know certainly none of the other kids seem to be that bothered yeah i think that's fair and you look at even the her bogart she sees percy mm. you know and i think that's an interesting one that it was obviously, you know, playing very strongly on her mind that something could happen to him and uh, that it wouldn't have been resolved between them. Um, yeah, I think that would have, you know, you know that, that hurt her very deeply, that argument that, you know, Percy could say those things and that this, this hadn't been patched up. I mean, mm. you know, she was the one who tried to sort of 
reconcile things with him when you like you said the rest of them weren't bothered multiple Um, times as well multiple times yeah and then you know more than percy deserved really but that's yeah that's what she was like that's you know she didn't give up on people particularly her family and in my head i mean obviously this uh this isn't you know confirmed or anything but in my head after the battle of hogwarts she along with obviously harry and Andromeda, Teddy's grandmother, really took Teddy Lupin in as almost one of the family because of that line that Lupin said when she was all that, you know, so upset about, um, you know, potentially dying and what would happen to Ron and Ginny. And Lupin said, what do you think we do? Let them starve. I think Mm. that I think she would remember that. And I think that she would make sure that Teddy Lupin was always loved. Oh, I, I I completely agree, and not just because of what had been said at that time about um, not not letting them starve. I think it would have been her instinct anyway, particularly in the circumstances. You know, obviously she was close to Tonks um, mm. and and Lupin oh, as well, obviously. But oh yeah, I mean, it's just one of those where I'm like, you know, like for instance, it had it been the other way around, Lupin didn't need to have said, didn't need to have uh, actually said that because he would have done it anyway uh but i think the reassurance that you know lupin and tonks would always be there for her kids you know was uh was a real comfort to her in those in those final years and and repaid that through teddy afterwards you know make sure that he you know made sure that he never starved whenever he you know came around the weasleys oh i i'm certain that she would have um you know been a, a very important figure um for teddy and she would have taken it upon herself to um you know to look after him as as if he were her own as she as she did with harry she she would always go above and beyond for her family really and just because you weren't her blood relative doesn't mean that you're not her family right, absolutely absolutely and i think the 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 boggart scene really shows you a, a, a real clear insight about you know the level in which she cares you oh. know that her greatest fear is to is to see harm come to to any of her family yes yeah absolutely and i'm sure that's a, a very sort of natural um reaction but you know certainly that that would have been a her greatest fear um because she mm. cared so much about them yeah yeah and also i mean i know this is a a mother's day special but i I would also say that you know she did have a a, you know a tremendous amount of support in arthur as well you know both of them both of them were heroes really oh yeah they were they they absolutely were and um you know she you know although she was a you know very loving mother figure she know she certainly didn't uh suffer fools gladly you know she was a very strong no, character no. um you know obviously there are a number of occasions where uh, arthur or fred or george would kind of get on the wrong side of her and she certainly knew how to uh the howler her. yeah yeah you know she uh she certainly knew how to put people in their place and like despite the fact that it wasn't her ideal career for them when she saw how much Fred and George loved doing the joke shop and how good they were at it. She she was she was really proud of them and, you know, pleased for, for their success. 
Yeah, yeah, she was. I mean, uh, I think with the, with that one, she ultimately she would want them to be happy. Um, mm. But you know, there is a, a certain amount of trying to to make sure they're okay and safeguarding their future and because starting a business is risky starting any business is risky but you know when you put it on paper starting a joke shop is um and also starting a joke shop at a time of universal darkness it's not exactly you know it's um it's a difficult one to sell so Mm. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised she uh, had reservations on that one. But like you said, you know, ultimately, um, she was very proud of them. She could see that they enjoyed doing it um, and they, they were good at doing it. But I think the, the most important thing was that they were happy, um, which they were. And, you know, she would mm. have been very, very glad of that. Yeah. I think ultimately that's what, all she would have wanted for any of them. Mm. It's just to, to be safe and, and be happy. And you could also tell, you know, when Harry arrived at at the borough after the Battle of Seven Potters, and he was the only one that had actually returned at that point, the level of concern and fear she had, but also the fact that even though, you know, Arthur, Fred, George, Bill, you know, Ron put their lives on the line to get Harry there safely, she was equally as concerned about Harry and equally concerned about Hermione. Yeah, you spot on. You look how relieved she was when when they returned, and it's as you know as if they were her own children. But mm. you know, she cared so deeply about, like you mentioned, people she regarded as part of her family. Um, it didn't necessarily matter whether that was was by blood or or otherwise. But yeah, I think uh, I think Molly Weasley is a, is an excellent shout. My one though is going to be a little bit outside the box, but is again why the parameters are mother figures and not necessarily mothers, uh, because Minerva McGonagall was such an outstanding under the radar mother figure to to generations of children, not just the Golden Trio. I mean, if we look at just the Golden Trio, mainly Harry alone, McGonagall spent hours spying on the Dursleys on that on that first day after after Lily and James had died, and the fact that that was like her first instinct. You know, she's there the very next morning. Um, she then, according to Pottermore, visited Harry in her animagus form multiple times over the years at Privet Drive just to check that he's okay. Um, you know, I think initially her instinct is that she doesn't want him to go there in the first place. You know, she sees what the no, dead no. like and, you know, tries to prevent him from that, not, not knowing that Dumbledore has his reasons, obviously, but, you know, that first mm. instinct is to protect him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that is that is her first instinct and the fact is that even when Dumbledore says no it's got to be it's got to be the Dursleys she continues to look out for him throughout the next decade you know and just turning up in an animagus form just to check that he's you know well yeah okay and, and like you said she turns up that first day when most of the wizarding world are celebrating 
because she's because she's thinking of the aftermath and you know kids is going to be an orphan Mm. and then when she when harry and ron and hermione came to hogwarts she sorted out the nimbus 2000 for harry put harry on a quidditch team because i mean (laughs) to be honest if you 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 think about it for what harry did i mean he thought he was going to get expelled and you know perhaps with a different teacher or perhaps with you know a different student at a different time they do get expelled but professor mcgonagall sees the seeker potential in harry and not only does she she not punish him but she helps him fulfill a really important aspect of of his character going forward yes i mean you know i suppose the only sort of counter arguments with that would be that she's a huge quidditch fan and wanted to Mm. see gryffindor do well so i'm sure that you know she wants she wanted to you know, give Harry that opportunity um, but you know, I'm, I'm sure as a side product the fact that Gryffindor would be doing well um, you know, was in her mind as well and I would also say that you know come the order of the Phoenix years you know she defended Harry in front of Umbridge and to Umbridge multiple times you know with, he has achieved high marks in all the defence against the dark arts test set by a competent teacher yep and then insisted that she would assist him become an aura if it's the last thing she does and would coach him nightly if necessary. Yes. Yeah, I mean, again, again, part of that is wrapped up in her absolute dislike of of Umbridge and the regime, naturally. Um, Mm. But, um, yes. But I think the fact that she knows that Harry's been telling the truth about Voldemort and seeing how persecuted he's become because of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and um, that's a, you know, she's hugely protective, and in that moment, we really see, um, you know, the length she's willing to go to for the benefit of one of her students. Hmm. Yeah. And what sort of sums it up for me? Again, this is just in relation to Harry leaving aside, you know, all her other maternal examples throughout the series. But there's this one line in the Deathly Hallows of the scream was more terrible because he had never expected or dreamed that Professor McGonagall could make such a sound. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know, you can see the the true... It's very rare that she lets her guard down as well, Mm. um, certainly to that extent. But it would have to be something of that nature to, you know, to, to get her to react like that, I think. Yeah, you know, and I think there's there's other examples as as well. The fact that she, um, you know, you look in Ravenclaw Tower, um, and the fact that mm. you know she had to throughout that seventh year, she had to endure the the worst of that regime and the the Caros and everything, and she could easily have left, but she stayed on to protect the students as best she could you know Dumbledore knew that as well that he could Mm, rely on her her with that and rely on her Um, but I'm I'm sure she will have hated every minute of that but she was doing Mm. that to to help as many students as she could which again goes under the radar and not knowing that Snape was uh, still fulfilling Dumbledore's orders as well you know yeah yeah and uh, you know i think she you know she really does have a, a very strong instinct you know even to the extent that um in the order of the phoenix when harry has the dream about mr weasley um they they run the students run to get professor mcgonagall out of bed 
Um, yeah. You know, and obviously in some cases she's a somewhat intimidating character, but their first instinct, I know she was the head of house, but, you know, instead of Madame Pomfrey or anyone was to go and get her, um, mm. you know, she, she runs in saying, where does it hurt and everything, you know, so she does have that that instinct i think um and the fact that she she immediately even though it sounds preposterous she immediately believes him and takes him to dumbledore yeah and i I think you know where every second counted at that particular point that trust that she had um was really important and yeah ultimately could have contributed to to saving arthur's life i think Mm, yeah, I think, uh, and there and there are you know similar moments you know throughout the series. Like, I mean, I do wonder on that one whether the last time that she'd been called upon to Gryffindor Tower prior to that, she initially didn't believe the student in Ron when he said that Sirius attacked him with a knife. Yeah, and and when and when she went and asked Cadogan, it was like, oh yeah, you know, he did let he did let Sirius in. Yes, but we do see some of those moments scattered throughout the novels as well. You know, like mm. um, you know, have a biscuit. Um, you know. That's a great line. It That's is. a great. That's the biggest plot twist in Harry Potter. <laughs> but it's moments like that where she lets her guard down that I think we really do see. You, you know, her real character is obviously behind quite a strict uh, and imposing front. But, you know, she really is a, a strong, strong figure, like you said, to, to the whole of Hogwarts, not just to, uh, to Harry. Mm, and not just to Gryffindor, even, you know, it's, uh, you know, she was very concerned uh, about the way that Marietta Edgecombe was being treated by Umbridge in that particular yeah. encounter. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, even towards students who um, I'm sure she will have disliked by Malfoy, you know, she told mm. you know, Moody that he couldn't turn him into a ferret. And, you know, there's there's other occasions as well where she puts the students first uh, at all costs, really. Um, yeah. And she, the fact that she defended Malfoy to Harry during Half-Blood Prince, you know, during the after in the immediate aftermath of the Katie Bell attack. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think we probably need to talk as well about the cursed child. Yes, yes. Um, where she says that she would have hoped that a lifetime of teaching students would have, you know... Mm, that is probably one of Harry's worst moments all time, that line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no question, because it's, you know... You know saying, with all due respect, Minerva, you, you don't have children. It's like, yeah, it, it ouch. Yeah. It really does, and you know she says. Given what she's done for him specifically, if you forget yeah. everyone else, yeah. uh, that that must have hurt. Yeah, you know the the, the hundreds of students that she will have helped. Um, you know that's a that's a really powerful line, and you know Harry, you know obviously apologizes later for it. Um, Mm. But it's uh, it, it's it's quite a, a powerful moment, really, because mm. I think as well, they, I think for us as the audience, it makes you realise as well where perhaps sometimes she is does go under the radar a bit as a mother figure. We actually, when we hear that line, stop and think. Actually, yeah, you know, that is a really unfair thing to say based on what she's done for for generations of students. And you know they they are all her family. You know, they are all her family. 
Yes, yeah. And when Harry first meets her in the Philosopher's Stone and she's explaining about the houses and saying that they, your house will be like your family, she takes that very seriously. Oh, she does, yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, she's she's not afraid to um, support other students as well. And it's just like small moments as well. Like, for instance, her telling Harry about Sirius Black in... in I mean, obviously, he already knew that he broke out of Azkaban to find Harry. But the fact that she would tell him anyway outside of, you know, external orders similarly like the one we said about you know the have a biscuit that whole conversation you know she, she will often take time away from whatever she's doing to help and you know even if like in the firebolt instance it's not particularly welcomed by the person she's trying to help you know she will she will always put the safety of her students first well i think as well with that one you know she's obviously a huge quidditch fan wants gryffindor to do well and, and win but she won't put that above the cost of endangering potentially endangering uh, harry mm. and as i say you know that the, the ones we've talked about is just how she's helped harry i mean she also entrusted hermione <laughs> with a with a time turner and stuck her professional and personal reputation on the line to be honest probably as soon as Hermione signed up at the end of the second year yeah absolutely but you know she wanted to you know, support one of her one of her students you know in the same way that she she tries to help Harry you know she explains when he thinks that he can't take potions um because he didn't get the required grades you know she makes sure that he knows that Slughorn would be able to to take him in his class and you know she really does academically try to to do the best for her for her students you know she also you know in the same in the same discussion the way she helped neville in that moment when neville couldn't do the transfiguration newt and suggested charms and neville's like oh but my grandmother and she says you know it's about time she's proud of the grandson she's got rather than the one she thinks she ought to have yeah and it's like that moment is like wow it is absolutely it's it's a big moment for neville as well Mm. you know it's rare that we see him take pride in anything that he does um but there's a there's a real moment for him there um particularly after what happened at the ministry that you know that has been recognized by someone who doesn't often pay that many compliments this is, mm. You can see that there's a real boost for him, and the fact that she's going to write to, to his grandmother is, you know, it's a big thing for him. But like when Harry and Ron nearly get expelled for crashing the car into the Whomping Willow, and Dumbledore has come in and you know said that he won't expel them. What McGonagall does next is incredible because firstly she reassures Ron that Ginny was sorted into Gryffindor. Yeah. And then she makes sure that they've got, you know, enough food and drink. You know, I mean, obviously she doesn't want to, them to become a spectacle by going into the Great Hall. But equally, she makes sure that uh, they are fed and comfortable. Yeah, definitely. You know, and I think, you know, when potentially she has every right to, to be, you know, disappointed in them. Mm. You know, she still looks... Send them to bed without supper. Yeah, you know, she looks after their welfare um, and makes sure that they... They are okay, and I think as well that it gives them that moment that they know they've messed up very badly, but it's you know it's, it can be reconciled. It's not permanent. 
Mm. But then I think as well, she's also not afraid to to try and teach them. I think I think she's she's not afraid to try to do what she thinks is best for them as well. You know, when she, the you know, Harry uses Septim Zempra and you know she aggrieves with um, Snape's punishment for him as well. Mm. Yeah, I think that's trying to sort of impose some kind of moral standards as well. And again, even though it would potentially affect Gryffindor's chances in the uh, in the cup, she's still willing to to do that to try to teach Harry right from wrong. Also, twenty third year anniversary of that game today. Yeah, yeah, big shout out to the team. Yeah. Another example of of what you just said was uh, in Harry's first year when he gets caught out of bed. Uh, trying to get Norbert away. Um, yeah. You know, she she takes 150 points off Gryffindor. Oh, yeah, and, and she wants that house cup as well. Yeah, she does. You know, she makes no secret of that, but the fact is, again, she she puts fairness and the, the welfare of the students as well. Mm, yeah, and the, and the sort of, you know, as you say, you said it's a teaching moment and to, to try and ensure ensure that they don't, you know, make similar or worse mistakes in the future. Okay, Harry does, but, you know, she's not to know that. No, absolutely. So before we wrap up this debate, uh, let's uh, let's go for a couple other outstanding mother figures. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about Narcissa Malfoy. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes it's, you know, we, we have to be careful to define what we're talking about. We're not talking about her being a nice character no no and you know in some ways as a mother she is uh, you know instilling the the wrong ideals and, and beliefs and you know there's a mm. lot that can be questioned on that but as a, as a mother figure she is undoubtedly very very protective of draco um you know wants the best for him and particularly as the the books go on um she gets incredibly protective of him and wants to keep him from from harm and keep him safe and ensure that um, he doesn't experience any of the things that she fears that he might experience. You know, and I think that ultimately that culminates in her betraying Voldemort to for the chance to to try and get into Hogwarts and and ensure that Draco is okay. She effectively gives up the opportunity to to win the war for the Death Eaters um, mm. and, and, you know, to, to try and save her own son and then, you know, sort of runs into the battle without a wand, completely defenseless, um, yeah. just to try and ensure that he's okay, um, which I think is a, is an underrated act, um, which I think... Yeah, is, very uh, heroic in, yeah. in its own way. It is, yeah, absolutely, you know, it's entirely defenseless and she, she's putting it all on the the line just to try and make sure that he's okay so i think she's an interesting one to to talk about i mean you get a real insight into her character when uh, the chapter spinners end in the half-blood prince you know seeing how scared and upset she is for draco absolutely you know she says there isn't anything that she wouldn't do and you know she, mm. she's not only going against voldemort which would have you know extremely severe consequences but going against her own sister as well mm. um you know which i'm sure will have been you know a, a great upheaval for her particularly with bellatrix's connections to to voldemort as well mm. and going against Lucius. Yes, 
yeah, definitely. You know, she she really is putting Malfoy above herself, her family, her you know, her beliefs, um, you know, her life. Yeah, because you know, she if Voldemort finds yeah. out anything, then absolutely. You know, she she really is putting everything on the line, um, and you know, trying to to trust Snape as well because. You know, at the time, there's there's no way of her knowing that Snape's not going to to run to to Voldemort to to tell him about you know her visit and everything. She she there's a lot of uncertainty, but she you know that that, that risk is worth taking for her if it means mm. there's the chance that Draco might be a bit safe. Not only that, but also the fact that she at that particular moment in Bellatrix's eye certainly. They don't know whether he, Snape's going to go off and tell Dumbledore. Not just Voldemort, but Dumbledore as well, you know. Yeah, Because they, they, they think that certainly Bellatrix is like, I don't trust you. I think you're, you know, not on our side. Oh, oh completely. Um, but, you know, I think she, she showed at the very end that she was willing to sacrifice, um, you know, the, the chances of the Death Eaters winning. Um, mm. to protect Draco and I think you know that's another example of it there where she is willing to to risk Snape running off to, to Dumbledore um, or Voldemort or Voldemort to, um, to, to to try and make Draco just a little bit safer mm. and you can see the gratitude that she feels towards Snape um, when he when he agrees to, to try and help yeah you know, I mean, there's, there is a lot about her that, I mean, we can see in, you know, where she threatens Harry, Harry and Ron, you know, I'll, uh, 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 Malkins, I'll, I'll yeah. make sure it's the, the last thing you ever do. And, you know, there's, there's a number of occasions where, um, you know, that's that's demonstrated. Where you see her motherly instincts just kick in and, you know. Yeah, ab- absolutely, yeah. And I think it's also interesting that in the final battle in a sense lucius also decides what side he's on because you know in that bit with uh, bit with voldemort in the shrieking shack his first priority is draco not the war and then he was also running through the battle of hogwarts wandless of looking for his son yeah i mean i, I tend to think that i'm not sure necessarily certainly we know that narcissa picked her side when she had to make that decision about whether Harry was mm. truly died or not, Lucius, I don't know whether he necessarily picked a side. He, you know, well, he picked his son. He picked his son exactly. Yeah, yeah. He didn't necessarily pick a side in that one. Whereas I think the difference is that Narcissa made that conscious choice to mm. pick her son over the the Death Eaters. Uh, yeah, she uh, picked the she sort of picked the regime where she felt her son would be safest. Yeah, or, or she picked you know the opportunity mm. to um, to to try and help her her son. And I think you know Lucius um, didn't you know he didn't necessarily pick a side, but he certainly picked well, his son. Yeah, and I think that is why none of the Malfoys, including surprisingly Lucius, spent any time in Azkaban after the Battle of Hogwarts. Yes, you know, and yeah, you know, and that, that's a very interesting one as to as to whether they they should have done or not. I think you know that's people will have different opinions on on that one, but mm. certainly I think that that um, yeah, I think that the fact that they ultimately picked Draco was certainly a you know big factor in that. Mm. And I mean, the other thing is that you kind of, uh, 
again in the cursed child they they kind of touch on it where Mal where draco says that you know he thinks that lucius you know would never have used the time turner to bring voldemort back because secretly he preferred a world without him yeah, I, I thought that was a really, really interesting line. I mean, I'm not sure whether that's what Draco wants to believe or, or you know, whether it is necessary. I would, I would probably say it is the truth because of how Lucius was treated once Voldemort returned and how he was treated in that last year uh, at Malfoy Manor after he lost the prophecy and lost the diary. Um, how yeah. Voldemort treated the whole family. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I would also say that that's probably an element of self-preservation rather than a change of ideals and beliefs and, and seeing the light, really. You know, I think that... Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think when Draco says, you know, I think he preferred a world without Voldemort, I think if it was another dark wizard that was more on side with, with Lucius, I, I think he would be quite happy with that. But I think Voldemort, in terms of the way he turned against the family, I do believe he would prefer a world where he's not sort of imprisoned in his own home. Yes, I'm sure he would, but I'm not, I think that's probably looking after... As we all would at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably him looking after looking after Lucius, which uh, yeah, he's extremely good at doing. That wasn't necessarily a uh, a change of heart, but the uh, what the what they stood for was wrong. No, no. I mean, a couple of other other figures I would just like to very briefly mention: Nymphadora Tonks. You know, yep. made a very similar sacrifice to Lily I mean not more you know less directly but more in terms of the world she wants her son to grow up in yes absolutely yeah and one thing mother figure that no one really talks about Augusta Longbottom Neville's gran yeah completely I mean she's a, a really really interesting one and like you said doesn't get talked about enough yeah and i mean the fact that she's maybe a bit you know stuck in her ways and a little bit you know stubborn maybe but ultimately she raised neville after after losing her son and daughter-in-law to madness and raising neville as a you know probably an old woman by that point and and making sure that he was you know safe and happy and when she saw what Neville was becoming, she was incredibly proud of him. She was, and, you know, they, it can't have been easy for her, um, losing her son um, and daughter-in-law and then having to, you know... Raise to see her. it still, you know. Yeah, absolutely, you know. And it's, you know, she obviously takes him to, to St. Mungo's as well to so that he, he still has that connection, um, which I think is really important. Um, mm. So it's, um, I think, I th you know, and she is always there for him and, you know, he turns up at the, the battle as well. And I, I'm, I'm sure you can see how proud she is um, when they say that Neville's off fighting as well. You know, mm. that's a really... Um, big moment um, and like you said and the letter she sends him uh, after going on the run yeah yeah definitely you know I think we, that's a it's a really interesting relationship um, as it goes on because like you said the first 
first uh, few books, it does seem that she's um, can be can be slightly fierce, um, can be mm. slightly fierce. But you know, as the the books go on, she she really does kind of um, you know demonstrate how how proud she is of him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that concludes our Mother's Day topic. As I say, we won't be debating this. We weren't debating it for house points because we we agreed that all the mother figures we, we talked about were, apart from Petunia, were heroic in their own ways. Um, and it felt unnatural to compare you know to to have them compete but we will be um we would still be interested to hear on uh, on your views so yeah, please any, tweet at us any, any that we missed as well mm. yeah uh so tweet at us at potter jewels email us your thoughts at potter jewels at hotmail.com uh or contact us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash potagels yeah and as always we will be doing our our quiz that's not changed uh so we'll have a quiz on mother figures of harry potter cool okay molly weasley was a really important mother figure uh, throughout the series which of the weasleys named their eldest daughter after molly weasley was it bill was it charlie was it percy was it george i don't think it was bill because his oldest daughter was victoire named after the victory of the the battle of hogwarts uh don't think it was charlie and i know it's not george um i'm gonna say percy it is percy yes oh, well done but that that's it's also an interesting one that obviously they had quite a uh, difficult relationship at times but ultimately yeah he uh yeah, named his first daughter after her so yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Okay, question two. During the scene where Mrs. Weasley is fighting the Bogart, which of these people does she not see? Mr. Weasley, Bill, Charlie, or Percy? It is Charlie. It is indeed. She sees uh, Mr. Weasley's body replaced by Bill's, and uh, she sees Percy as well. mm so. And twins and Ron. Yeah. It'll be a bit miffed if you're Charlie and Ginny. Yeah, it's disappointing. I'm sure I'm sure that would have got to that. Well, it went through Harry before it got to them. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. Which Quidditch team does Professor McGonagall support? Is it the Ballycastle Bats? Is it the Appleby Arrows? Is it Montrose Magpies? Or is it the Hollyhead Harpies? <sighs> I don't think it's the uh, Hollyhead Harpies. I am... Go- I have... No idea. I'm going to go with the... I'm going to go with Magpies. Montrose Magpies. Yeah, Montrose Magpies, yeah. Got one in free shot. That's correct. Wow, really? Yeah. Oh, it's just... I, I, it was just I had a 33% chance to get... Because I didn't think it was the Hollyhead Harpies. Yeah, no. Um, because that's the Quidditch team I'd actually heard of. Three out of three so far. Wow. Question four. Which Hogwarts house did Professor McGonagall almost get sorted into? Was it Slytherin? Was it Ravenclaw? Was it Hufflepuff? Or she didn't. It was always Gryffindor. It was Ravenclaw. Correct. Four out of four. Question five. This is for uh, Full House. Narcissa Malfoy made a threat. (laughs) 
about if you attack my son again, I shall ensure it is the last thing you ever do. But who did she make this to? Was it Harry and Ron, Harry and Hermione, Ron and Hermione, or Harry, Ron and Hermione? Well, Harry, Ron and Hermione were in the shop. So I'm kind of split between Harry and Ron and Harry, Ron and Hermione. I don't think Hermione really got involved in the in the quips too much. I'll say Harry, Ron and Hermione because they were all in the shop. That's incorrect. It was just it was Harry. Harry and Ron. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- those are the two I was torn between. Well, f- four out of five. It's not a. Um, it's not bad. No, it's not terrible. Take that. Okay, my turn. Yeah. What colour is the jumper Mrs. Wheezy knits for Harry in his first year at Hogwarts? Is it emerald? Is it yellow? Is it maroon? Or is it turquoise? Well, I think Ron ends up with a maroon one, doesn't he? I'm going to say maroon. But it is incorrect. Yellow. Nope. Emerald. So. Mm. What does the core of Professor McGonagall's wand consist of? Dragon heartstring, phoenix feather, unicorn tail hair, or none of the above? I'm going to say none of the above. That is incorrect. It's dragon heartstring. Okay, my next question. What was McGonagall's mother called? Is it Eileen, Sophie, Isabel, or Elizabeth? Eileen, Sophie, Isabel, or Elizabeth? Yeah. That's what is one of the last two, isn't it? It's not... I don't think it's Eileen, because that was Snape's mother. Sophie doesn't sound right at all. So Eileen, Sophie, Elizabeth, or Isabel? I would say Isabel. Correct. Excellent. On a similar topic what was narcissa malfoy previously narcissa black's mother called was it chalara black druella black cruella black or drella black say them again Drella. how'd you spell that d-r-u-e-double-l-a chalara black c-h-l-a-r-a cruella black as in cruella de vil no uh, and Drella, which is D-R-E-L-L-A. I don't think it's Cruella. Druella. That is correct. Excellent. Final question. What breed of cat is McGonagall's Animagus? Is it Scottish Fold, Siamese, Silver Tabby, or Caliso? It's a Silver Tabby. Correct. Hey. Okay, so I, I believe I'm now 15 points in the lead by my rough mathematics. Yep. So that concludes another episode of Potagels. We thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, you can get in contact with the shows via Twitter at Potagels, P-O-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, or one word, Potagels at hotmail.com or facebook.com forward slash Potagels. Our next episode, we will be doing the underused characters uh, episode. We will we will definitely be doing that and we'll have that out at some point in the middle of the week. So stay tuned for that because it is worth the wait. It will be a good episode and I'm, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Should be a good one. But until then, thank you again very much for listening. I have been Tim. He has been Martin. See you next time. And until then, Knox. Knox.